Sci-Fi Podcast, starring Rico. Hello, this is Rico, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi Podcast. Thanks for that intro, uh, Vortech or Vartech. A new intro that he sent in. I really, really enjoyed that. Thanks a lot. This will be podcast number 138 for September the 9th, 2007. It's a Sunday, our early afternoon, kind of getting a late start this uh, this Sunday. Had a lot of stuff going on the last few days. I'll tell you about that in a few minutes. Uh, I'm going to tell you uh, that uh, this show is going to primarily be a Star Wars show, unlike uh, normal, which we're usually a little more Star Trek oriented. This week, we're going to be talking about Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, the second of the Star Wars prequel movies. We've got some of our usual features and audio entries from listeners, and we're going to be talking about some news, got a collectible to talk about later on. and But this week, we're going to just kind of get right into it. I'm going to skip any other musical little intros or interludes, and we'll get right into uh, start first uh, talking about news. Rico has the best sci-fi and Star Trek information on the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. Well, the first bit of news uh, that I wanted to mention is uh, this past uh, weekend, last weekend, over Labor Day weekend, I went out and uh, purchased a new large-screen HD television. Yep, finally joined the HD world of TV, movies, and so forth. Got a big uh, 60-inch diagonal Sony. It's an LCD rear projection. It's a very, very sweet set. Uh, I got it from Best Buy. I got a really good deal. They actually price-matched an online price, which was kind of nice, I thought. Saved me a lo- quite a bit that way. Uh, but I looked around a lot uh, before I purchased this one. DLP, LCD, Plasma, uh, just all different styles, models. A uh, really cool site out there is called the AVS Forums. AVS Forum or Forums. Not sure if it has an S or on the end of that, but uh, you should be able to find it. Just uh, t- type it into Google. But that's a great resource for any kind of a- audiovisual equipment, televisions, uh, DVD players, everything that under the sun they review, people talk about on there. So did a lot of research there and decided on this Sony set. Also picked up a Toshiba HD DVD player which is very nice. It makes uh, one, of, one of the best surprises I had was it, how well this HD DVD player upscales normal DVDs. Watched a little of uh, Wrath of Khan and Casino Royale the first night I had everything hooked up, and they both look spectacular, and they're both just normal DVDs upscaled by the, the player and on the big big new set. So that was a pleasant surprise. It also made me realize hopefully I won't have to go out and replace a lot of my DVDs with new HD versions, and uh, it's also a little hit or miss of what comes out these days on HD. Uh, the new movies, of course, are pretty much all coming out on either HD or Blu-ray or both, but some of the older movies, it, it's hard to say right now what they're going to go back and, and re-release in, in a high-definition format. Of course, uh, one of the main reasons I wanted to get this uh, was that the first season of the original Star Trek series will be out this November on HD, you know, all those remastered episodes, which this weekend they're throwing, showing throwing. <laughs> they're showing the Doomsday Machine again, which was uh, one, one of the most uh, uh, new effects laden uh, of the enhanced episodes that they've done. Really cool job they did on that. But that is uh, that is showing again this weekend. Uh, check your local listings. So you might want to check StarTrek.com. There's a link on my forums as well, but they kind of have updated the list of these enhanced episodes, which weekends they're showing what and so forth. Uh, but, of course, the first season is coming out this November on HD DVD of the original series. 
Uh, Toshiba actually just threw a new offer in. If you buy an HD DVD player from them and the first season of the original series, they will also give you a cool uh, phaser uh, TV, uh, I don't know if it's a universal remote, some kind of a remote control that looks like the phaser from the original series. They're also going to toss that in as well. I'm going to see if I can still get that since I just bought this uh, HD DVD player last weekend. I'm wondering if I can still qualify because, of course, I'm going to be buying that HD set uh, when it comes out in November of Star Trek, the original series, which should look just amazing on this big new screen. So I'm real happy about that. Got uh, Comcast coming to the house tomorrow to hook up all the new HD stuff and channels. Got an HD TiVo, so I'm going full out. It's, uh, you know, I, I try to stay a little up on this stuff. You know, I, I used to be a real early adopter. The minute something new technology-wise would come out, I'd buy it. But I've kind of held off on this a little bit. I wanted things to sort of settle in, get a little better, better price on stuff, you know, rather than buying it the day it comes out and so forth. So anyway, I'm pretty happy with this. I think it'll last me a good many years, this new set and uh, all the other equipment that I'm adding for uh, for viewing movies. You know, it's great. I watched uh, my first HD DVD uh, full movie. I watched that uh, Clint Eastwood-directed Letters uh, uh, from Iwo Jima the other night. It just looked amazing. I was amazed at uh, the detail. If anyone out there listening has seen that movie, it's just spectacular. And the cool thing about Netflix is you can add in either HD DVDs or Blu-ray to your to your Netflix queue, and it doesn't cost any additional money, so that's kind of nice. And they have both formats available as well, so suits uh, suits me just fine. So that's it for my uh, technology news, I guess, for the week. Let's talk a little bit more about Star Trek. On the uh, Star Trek front, uh, not a lot of movie news coming out. Still, they're they're really they still still seem to be searching for their cast members. Still, no word on who's going to play Captain Kirk. Uh, you know, it's. We're already into September. Supposedly, shooting is going to start around November. Uh, I really wonder what's going on with all this. If, there, if they've got somebody lined up, if it's just a matter of, of signing the contracts or what's going on. So we'll keep everyone posted on that that's listening. The uh, On the Star Trek comic front, though, some cool things have been going on. Uh, two new comics came out this past week. The Year 4 series they're doing uh, that sort of follows the Year 4 of the original series, the, the second book in that series came out, and the last book in the uh, Star Trek Klingon series came out, which is sort of like a bunch of Klingon st- or Star Trek stories told from a Klingon point of view. Uh, mainly the original series and into the movies is what they're working on, like things like Errand of Mercy, Day of the Dove. This last Klingon book is focused around the sixth Star Trek movie, The Undiscovered Country, which, of course, had a lot of Klingon elements in it, and it was very Klingon-centric. So I haven't read these yet. I picked them up this past week at the bookstore, but I'll probably read them later on today. Uh, But they've been doing a pretty good job, and I think each book has gotten a little bit better in the Star Trek comic series. Uh, Let's talk uh, a little bit about Star Trek books with our friend the Duffster, who has another book review for us this week. This one uh, is about a Star Trek novel, uh, another early novel in the Star Trek series called Fate of the Phoenix. Take it away, Duffster. Hey everyone, this is Duffster, and this is your Star Trek book review. And today we're going to talk about the book, The Fate of the Phoenix, by Sondra Marshak and Myrna Colbreth. This was the sequel to uh, The Price of the Phoenix, which uh, I really enjoyed. Um, unfortunately, The Fate of the Phoenix, I, I, I didn't enjoy it quite as much. Uh, some of the situations got... I think the story got a little bit stretched too far. Um, it's funny because I remember vividly um, 
the first book, reading the first book when I was younger, and I remembered lots about it, but I always kind of couldn't remember the second book. And well, now, now I see why. It, it's not real memorable. It was it's a decent book, but uh, like I said, I think they they stretched the idea a little bit too far. Uh, they they tried to to fill a story. There were some very interesting parts. There, Omni was back. Uh, they uh, they had a another situation on Omni, which I won't really give away because it makes a good um, play in the book. Um, the commander's back. You get to see a little more of uh, some of the Romulan history and some of the Romulan backstory. And there's definitely a lot of good interplay between um, Kirk, the uh, the cloned Kirk they called James, and, uh, and Spock in the Romulan commander and uh, Omni, uh, there's quite a few surprises, um, but I just didn't feel that the the story was uh, as new and unique as the first one, and that was the big selling point of the first one. The 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 meeting of the Omni as a really great antagonist, and and uh, the story, the whole story of the Phoenix process, the rebirth process. So I'm going to give this one three out of five. Along with Prospers, um, it. It's not a horrible read, um, and it is worth reading if you're you're going through some of the old early Star Trek books. Um, so uh, this is Dubster, and I, of course I'm going to leave you with the following: read more science fiction. Ta-ta. Thanks, Dubster, for that uh, great book review there. Yeah, there's a, uh, you know, the, there's definitely a mix of good, good and not so good in in Star Trek novels in general. Even uh, well. Not, I shouldn't say even, but uh, the older ones, I think, were even more. Uh, uh, they hadn't quite settled into a type of uh, Star Trek book to put out, although that, that can be bad, too, when you settle into a certain format. Anyway, there's always good and bad, and uh, thanks to the Dubster, and you can find out more uh, about what he's up to over at readmoresci-fi.com. Hi, this is Len from Jawbone Radio, and whenever I need the latest Star Trek or sci-fi news... I listen to my friend Rick on the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. Hey, do you think he's going to be talking about Wookiees? Because I love Wookiees. Okay, let's switch over to the Star Wars uh, front of news and things. Uh, One thing I wanted to mention, uh, Family Guy, which is a great comedy show on Fox on Sunday nights, which I enjoy, is doing this full-blown Star Wars uh, spoof takeoff uh, uh, about the first Star Wars movie. This is going to be their premiere episode it's going to be on in two weeks, uh, so mark that date on your calendar, September 23rd. They've also put out a uh, a full-blown poster with all the characters from the show sort of in a Star Wars-type poster scene, uh, which is very cool. I'll put a link uh, to that in the podcast notes. Yeah, it's going to be uh, an hour-long Family Guy special a tribute to Star Wars, so definitely uh, keep an eye out for that. It's going to, again, show on September 23rd. On the Star Wars collecting front, uh, which the Star Wars co- or the collectible this week that I'm going to review is a Star Wars collectible. We'll save the what that's going to be. All right, it's a helmet. It's one of the helmets. It's a clone trooper helmet. Yeah, all right, you got it out of me. Anyway, I'll talk about that more towards the end of the, the podcast this week. But on the collecting front, one bit of news that's been rumored for a while, but looks like it's pretty much confirmed now, is that Master Replicas is going to be making, uh, you know, they make that great line of Force FX lightsabers. They're going to be doing a build-your-own Force FX lightsaber. You can basically get a bunch of different little pieces and parts to build the kind of hilt of the Force FX lightsaber that you'd like. 
And uh, it's very cool. There's a, a link. I'll leave it in the podcast notes to a site called simpletoys.com. Yeah, and they've got uh, they've got a lot of information and pictures of this cool set up there. You know, Master Replicas, of course, is uh, losing this Star Wars license at the end of 2007. So this has got to go up for sale pretty soon to to make that cutoff. But it comes with all these different pieces. It comes with a tri-color, tri-LED colored blade so you can uh, have the saber uh, activated in different colors. This is a great idea and a great set, it looks like. Again, I'll put the link, direct link to this uh, blog post at Star Wars, or excuse me, simpletoys.com. I'll put a link all that up in the podcast notes for the week. So for the collectors out there, especially those that love these Force FX sabers from Master Replicas, this is kind of a dream come true. Supposedly you can make like a thousand different combinations with these parts, uh, different colors and pieces, put them together in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. I think uh, this is going to be a real big seller for Master Replicas. And it really just shows to me that they still have a lot of cool ideas in mind for Star Wars. And I'm really wondering... Uh, you know, it's too bad that they've lost the license. I'm kind of wondering why they did, if it was just a money issue or what. I still kind of predict they'll get it back in some way or somehow. I don't think there's anybody else out there right now really in, in the market that can do the kind of things they've done. And they've put a lot of work into different designs and engineering over the years, which makes some of these things a little easier to produce, you know, to produce rather than starting from scratch. So anyway, collectors, lots of cool uh, stuff, lots of toys out. I haven't really been in the action figure market that much as or as much as I used to be, but there are some cool sideshow pieces. I just got uh, a couple of the new, um, you know, the $50 range uh, dolls or large-scale uh, action figures, one-six scale. Uh, they are uh, Princess Leia in her boosh or boche disguise from uh, Return of the Jedi, yes. And, and Asajj Ventress, how do you say her name? Asajj Ventress? The one from the Clone Wars cartoon. Got those uh, in the last few weeks. So from uh, Sideshow Collectible, Sideshow Toys, uh, really cool line of uh, uh, those that they've been doing, uh, quite a few of those out. So uh, from the collectible front, hey, you know what? Let's get right into Attack of the Clones. not let this republic be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, there aren't enough Jedi to protect the republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost him. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. Anakin, don't do anything without first consulting either myself or the Council. You don't need guidance, Anakin. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi. The boy has exceptional skills. His abilities have made him arrogant. Excuse me. I'm in charge of security here, milady. They are using a bounty hunter named Jango Fett to create a clone army. Wait. We must stop them before they're ready. Your clones are very impressive. They'll do their job well. Blast! That's why I hate flying! This is a crisis. The Senate must vote the Chancellor emergency powers. As my first act, I will create a grand... Okay, well, what you're hearing there is the, you know, first, uh, or the, I should say, the long trailer that they did for Attack of the Clones, Episode 2 of the prequel series. 
one. Some interesting stuff. They show quite a bit of the movie. Uh, you know, typically what uh, what they did in these trailers, they would really sort of uh, what they call the teaser trailer at first, probably in the fall before the movie would come out in the spring, to kind of get everyone excited. And then they would release a longer trailer uh, sometime in the early, uh, late winter, early spring, usually around March or so. And that's what they did, of course, again with uh, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. This is, uh, you know, I think this is a very uh, much improved movie versus the first one. You know, there were a lot of problems with Episode 1. Uh, probably the biggest one was George Lucas's decision to have Anakin, you know, as a, as a small boy, which really limited, I think, what they could do with that movie. Uh, they had some cool things in it, but we've talked about that on a previous podcast. But let's just say... Now they've moved 10 years ahead in uh, Attack of the Clones, and it really, uh, it, it's it's become a little more adult. Uh, this is basically George Lucas. I remember at the time when this movie was uh, getting close to being released, and all the interviews and discussion with George Lucas, and he, you know, people would ask, well, what this, what is this one about? And he would basically tell uh, tell everyone that it was a love story. It was the story of... Anakin and his love for Padme and Padme and her love for Anakin and all. And, you know, one of the criticisms that this movie has always gotten is that George Lucas being basically the primary writer, he had some help on it, but it was basically his story. He worked on the script, he directed it. So a lot of it, a lot of the, well, let's just say some of the hokiness of the dialogue at times kind of rests on his shoulders a bit. You know, it's, I, I kind of don't really mind it for the most part that Part and the dialogue and the love story portion, you know, people find it kind of, you know, I don't know. They, I just have heard a lot on forums and talking to people over the years about this movie. It's now, well, gosh, what is it? It's five years ago since this came out. That seems to be what what a lot of people had a problem with. Uh, I kind of find it kind of sweet in a way. You know, th- these are sort of keep in mind, Star Wars was always a throwback. It was supposed to be like the old Flash Gordon serials. S- serials, serials, did it? Yeah. Not like breakfast cereal, but you know it was it was a uh, a modern myth, and it was supposed to be sort of kind of have a little innocent and sweetness to it, along with cool battles and, and all the latest special effects in that. And I, I think they kind of pull that off here. Yeah, sometimes it's a little bit awkward, uh, and, and you know it's a little awkward to to think that these uh, two Anakin and Padme meet up ten years later and and so quickly fall in love again. But you know that's the movies too a little bit. You know, how many romantic comedies and movies have you watched where that happens in a 90-minute time frame? So that's just the nature of the beast a little bit. So, uh, But but they've got, uh, you know, this, this movie takes place uh, in a lot of different locations. There's a lot of different set pieces. They visit a lot of different worlds. Uh, the Attack of the Clones movie is actually the longest of any of the Star Wars movies. And it is the, I think that's correct, or is it just the longest of the prequels? Let me check on that uh, when I take a break here in a second. I know it's the longest of the prequels. Uh, also, is the most expensive of the Star Wars movies. I know that one for a fact. So, kind of interesting. Uh, they, like I said, visit a lot of different places. You get a lot of different new uh, new planets to see. They get to uh, visit Tatooine again. Uh, one of the interesting things about uh, when they did the location in Tunisia to uh, film the Tatooine scenes, when Anakin goes to try to rescue his mom there, uh, Shmi, uh, held by the Sand People. 
Uh, George Lucas actually filmed a few uh, little scenes for that were used for Revenge of the Sith. The biggest one, of course, that was used in Revenge of the Sith was the the scene where he brings Luke to uh, where Obi Wan comes back to Tatooine to deliver Luke to the Lars's to uh, care for to uh, Ben and uh, Baru to uh, you know I'm sorry not not Ben that's uh, <laughs> that's Obi Wan sorry to Uncle Owen and Aunt Baru to take care of as a small boy when that little scene there at the end of revenge of the Sith was actually filmed during the time they did uh, attack of the clone. So that's kind of interesting. Let me mention a little bit and talk uh, about the title. You know, they did the Phantom Menace. Everyone kind of moaned and groaned when George Lucas came up with that title, but I think it kind of worked. And the same thing happened with attack of the clones. You know, everyone kind of said, Oh, it sounds like attack of the clowns. It sounds kind of cornball, but again, that's sort of, what his his point is that's what he george lucas i think was always trying to do now i don't want to come off as is completely defending george and you know, mr lucas uh, you know and everything that he does in these movies the titles the scripts and everything but I, what i am trying to do is is maybe uh tell people a little bit more about the reasons these aren't really mistakes so much as this is what he wants this is what george lucas wants these movies to be like this is the way he wants the tone of them to be this is the way he wants the titles to be this is all intentional. He's not an idiot, you know. George Lucas, for everybody, you know, that you know, and all the discussion about what they say about the prequels and all that, this guy knows what he's doing. He's had the probably the most successful movie franchise in history, uh, and uh, you know, he that that means something. You know, these movies are extremely popular. Have made a ton of money. The merchandising, everything. Star Wars has has become uh, such a franchise over the years. It's you know, you don't just do that by accident. So the everything in these movies, I think he almost even more so in the prequels than in the original trilogy is by design, is intentional. There are no things in here that are just by accident. Uh, he really uh, did what he set out to do, I think, especially, like I said, with the prequels even more so than the originals. So anyway, that's a, that's a lot. And I think let's now get into some clips. Here's an early one from the movie, and then I'll come back and talk about it. But for certain senator, in grave danger, you are. Master Jedi, may I suggest the senator be placed under the protection of your graces? You really think that's a wise decision under these stressful times? Chancellor, if I may comment, I do not believe the situation situation is that serious. No, but I do, Senator. I realize all too well that additional security might be disruptive for you, but perhaps someone you're familiar with. An old friend, like Master Kenobi. That's possible. He's just returned from a border dispute on Ancyon. Do it for me, milady, please. The thought of losing you is unbearable. I will have Obi-Wan report to you immediately, my lady. Thank you, Master Windu. You seem a little on edge. Not at all. I haven't felt you this tense since since we fell into that nest of gundarks. (laughs) You fell into that nightmare, Master, and I rescued you, remember? Oh... Yes. (laughs) You're sweating. Relax. Take a deep breath. I haven't seen her in ten years, Master. 
Yeah, so the uh, there you get going into the sort of the political part of this uh, storyline, which is, of course, uh, the Chancellor trying to, um, you know, gain more power. And, of course, we all know this is Darth Sidious just sort of using his machinations, machinations. Is that how you say that? You know, he's he's manipulating things behind the scenes to start this war to get himself more power. That's the whole thrust and goal of his what he's trying to do and he you know the beginning of this uh padme comes back to coruscant her aide gets killed you know which is an attempt to to kill her really who's her you know acting as her double at the time and then they're going to assign protectors uh both uh you know jedi uh, master jedi obi-wan and anakin as her protectors and then that sets into motion the whole love story thing with anakin meeting up with padme again I did double check. This is the longest and most expensive of all the Star Wars movies, so that uh, that is true. This was also uh, Attack of the Clones. The second uh, Star Wars movie was the first of the Star Wars films to ever be filmed uh, totally digitally. This was done uh, with these new digital, uh, very high tech Sony cameras that were developed between uh, Sony and Panavision. Developed new digital cameras. That even worked, you know, in the upper 120 Fahrenheit degrees that they saw out on uh, in Tunisia when they were filming the scenes for Tatooine. These these cameras just worked flawlessly and really uh, set into motion the whole digital age of filmmaking. I think that you know is existing even to this day. I remember when I first saw this film, the day I saw it, I actually saw it two times. This was one of the earliest films. I think maybe if not the first film. Uh, somebody out there maybe listening will correct me on this, but I saw it both uh, digitally projected, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, not an old standard film projector, but a digital version of this. I believe it was a DLP projection theater where, uh, again, it was, you know, a hard drive with the film on it that was projecting the picture. And I saw a film version of it both in the same day. Uh, early in the morning, I went to see it digitally. And later in the evening, when I, when I took my kids to see it, uh, saw it, uh, the film version. And there was a huge... I would consider it at least a huge difference in the quality of the of the picture. The digital version looks so much more uh, crisp and clear, and and I, I don't want to say the word lifelike because I think there's something about digital that, and filmmakers have said this that I've heard uh, in articles and, and different stories over the years. There's something almost sort of a little unnatural about digital uh, imagery to, to some degree. Now that can, can be con- corrected and controlled through, you know, computer technology post-production and all those kinds of things but bottom line of it for me at least you know if i have a choice of seeing something a digital version of it uh, projected versus a good old film i'm gonna i'm definitely gonna go with the digital basically because you don't have all those weird film artifacts that show up it's usually a much cleaner crisper image and and so forth so and i was noticing when i was collecting the audio clips uh, getting ready for the podcast that you know, this movie really has some vibrant colors. i got to toss it in and, and put it on my uh, upscaling uh, HD DVD player after I'm done with the show and watch it a little bit on the big screen uh, new TV that I got because it, there's really some some strong color saturation in this movie, and I think it would be a good one to watch. And obviously a lot of really fast action as well, which is a good thing to test uh, digital uh, televisions and, and HD TVs with. So anyway, back to the back to the movie itself. So you got this political struggle. Sorry, my uh, telephone seems to be ringing. It looks like it must be my son. So hopefully Lynn uh, will pick that up soon. That hasn't happened a little while on the podcast. Uh, anyway, 
He's up at Michigan State. Reveling, I have to say, Michigan State has won two football games in a row, U of M zero. So happy about that a little bit. You know, it's about time. U of M, uh, sorry, I'm taking a little aside here, but, but U of M just doesn't seem to understand, yeah, you can actually lose football games. So everyone who's familiar with the Michigan area and the rivalry between these two schools will know what I'm talking about. Anyway, Rico, get back to the back to the movie. So, yeah, the Attack of the Clones. Again, you know, there's this political thing going on, the love story angle going on. And, of course, there is this whole conflict and struggle between Anakin, the, the Padawan learner, to Obi-Wan, the Jedi Master. And, you know, he, Anakin feels like Obi-Wan's kind of holding him back. He's kind of a little arrogant. He kind of goes off, uh, you know, and does things without thinking. And, you know, he's a teenager a little bit. So, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but anyway, or is he a teenager? Ten years? How old was he? Eight or nine? Yeah, I guess he's supposed to be a late teenager, uh, almost 20-ish or so. Anyway, this uh, this makes him, you know, all of his uh, very strong with the Force powers and his Jedi skills make him a little uh, cocky, basically. So let's listen to the next clip, and I'll come back and talk about it. Anakin! She went into the club, Master. Patience. Use the Force. Think. Sorry, Master. He went in there to hide, not to run. Yes, Master. Next time, try not to lose it. Yes, Master. This weapon is your life. I try, Master. Why do I get the feeling you're going to be the death of me? Don't say that, Master. You're the closest thing I have to a father. Then why don't you listen to me? I am trying. So you can see there from that uh, clip, or listen, uh, not see, but the you know the conflict a little bit between the master and the apprentice, uh, you know between Obi Wan and Anakin. You know they're going into this club now to search for that uh, bounty hunter person, Zam Wessel. Uh, she's uh, hiding out in there. The uh, the thing I wanted to mention, and, and a lot of people probably listening already know this. In that scene, you can easily see uh, Anthony Daniels, who normally plays C three PO, and Ahmed Best, who plays Jar Jar Binks. You can see them out of their makeup costumes and all that uh, as regular people in in the bar there. There's a couple of quick shots of them inside that uh, place. So that's kind of a neat thing. Uh, nice that they got a chance to finally get show up in a Star Wars film without all the other uh, makeup and costuming that they normally have on. Let's go on to uh, another clip. This one is between Palpatine and Anakin. Now, there's a, a relationship going on between the two of them in this movie and continues to Revenge of the Sith of... You know, Palpatine's sort of uh, preying upon Anakin, and, and, you know, he's telling him basically what he wants to hear, that the Jedi are holding him back, that Obi-Wan's not really doing doing a good job at training him, and, and so forth. Well, listen to, to uh, this clip, and you'll understand more. You don't need guidance, Anakin. In time, you will learn to trust your feelings. Then you will be invincible. I have said it many times. You are the most gifted Jedi I have ever met. Thank you, Your Excellency. I see you becoming the greatest of all Jedi, Anakin. Even more powerful than Master Yoda. I am concerned for my Padawan. He is not ready to be given this assignment on his own yet. The Council is confident in its decision, Obi-Wan. The boy has exceptional skills. But he still has much to learn, Master. His abilities have made him, well, arrogant. Yes, yes. 
a flaw more and more common among Jedi. Hmm, too sure of themselves they are, even the older, more experienced ones. Remember, Obi-Wan, if the prophecy is true, your apprentice is the only one who can bring the Force back into balance. Yeah, so there's the uh, you know the the difficulties with Anakin. You know, Palpatine's kind of pry, er, er, preying upon his uh, you know his inexperience and uh, his ego and all that. So it, it's pretty obvious when you look at it from the outside. But uh, let's talk a little bit about Hayden Christensen. You know, coming into the role of Anakin, uh, playing a young, uh, well, young Darth Vader, who has to eventually. Uh, go over to the dark side you know this a lot of people say he's not not very good they've always said he's kind of wooden and yeah i think in this movie you can kind of use that and say that a little bit i think there are moments in the movie where he really shines and and does a good job i think there's other moments where he's a little inconsistent i blame a little bit of that of of that on the direction i think george lucas is not nearly uh the director that uh well, to pull off this kind of a story, you know, this is kind of the Empire Strikes Back of the prequels. You know, it's the center movie. This is the one where you really have to dig into the characters and the relationships a lot more. And that's what made uh, Irvin Kershner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, you know, such a good choice. That was his uh, forte. That's what he was good at. And I think this movie could have really benefited by having a director that could handle these characters and the actors a little bit more with a little more care and, and, and really pulled some things out of them. But even with all that said, I still think it, it, it works to a degree. This next line and this next clip, though, is, is one of these circumstances where it's a little bit, uh, well, let's just say this scene's a little awkward, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you hear it. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft. And smooth. Yeah, so that's the scene at the lake uh, on Naboo where Anakin's uh, taking uh, Padme back home, and they're kind of hiding out there, basically. That you know, this is where all the love story part of this this uh, movie takes place uh, on Naboo, and they kind of uh, you know they go rollicking out on the hills and things like that. Uh, it's, uh, you know, eh, not the best part of the movie, perhaps, but, you know, they had to show it, I think, to a degree and and show how, you know, the the, the deep love that Anakin feels for, for Padme is one of the things that eventually pushes him over the edge in the third movie. And without trying to show that a little bit, I think they, you know, they would be missing out on, on why he does what he what he does in the third movie in Attack of the Clones or what I'm sorry, in, in Revenge of the Sith, excuse me. So the, this movie, again, there's a lot of parallels that George Lucas did between the prequel uh, trilogy and the original trilogy. One of the things, again, this is the center movie, he splits the storyline. He does that quite a bit in all the movies, but he's got two main things going on. Just like in Empire Strikes Back, you had the scene or the, the storylines in Empire where Luke was off training with Yoda and, and Han was off with the princess uh, you know, on their own little adventure. This one, you've got two scenes or two situations going on. Anakin's off with Padme, and Obi Wan is chasing uh, this this clone thing, Django, and all that stuff. The next clip is uh, when he makes his way to meeting up with Django Fett. Django, welcome back. Was your trip productive? Fairly. 
This is Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's come to check on our progress. Your clones are very impressive. You must be very proud. I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in the universe. Ever made your way as far into the interior as Coruscant? Once or twice. Recently? Possibly. Then you must know Master Cypher Dias. Oh, Baba. Rudet Sohik. Master who? Cypher Dias. Is he not the Jedi who hired you for this job? Never heard of him. Really? I was recruited by a man called Tyrannus on one of the moons of Bogdan. Curious. Do you like your army? I look forward to seeing them in action. They'll do their job well. I'll guarantee that. Thank you for your time, Django. Always a pleasure to meet a Jedi. Yeah, so uh, you know, this is the uh, this is the movie that we learned that all the uh, clone troopers who eventually become stormtroopers are uh, all modeled after uh, you know Boba and Jango Fett, uh, which is kind of interesting. Eventually, of course, in the later movies and the later Star Wars movies, they move away from the clones and use regular people inside you know stormtrooper uniforms and all that. So they're not uh, they're not all clones at that point. But at this time, you know, there's a whole again behind the scenes thing going on here where where Sidious is trying to get this war going, trying to get himself all this power because a war always gives uh, typically, you know, gives the politicians even more power to do what's needed to be done. And this gives him this ability to create this clone army and they set up this conflict between the droid army and the clone army which just eventually is a big ruse uh, on the part of uh, on his part in order to, again to give him this army to defeat the Jedi and, and take over the take over the galaxy basically so it, it's one big setup uh, the uh, again the other storyline leads into Anakin starts having these dreams everyone knows about all this and then eventually moves towards uh, him trying to go rescue his mother uh, Shmi Skywalker back on Tatooine and Padme goes along with him uh, there's uh, I, I gathered a couple of clips but I think the most important one or one I wanted to play from this is is where he actually uh, Anakin gets to the tent uh, where his mother is being held and uh, well he's not quite in time to rescue her really so listen to this clip and I think this uh, this next scene and what follows is really uh, what drives uh, Anakin over to more of the uh, the dark side of the force. <sighs> Is it you? I'm here, Mom. You're safe. Annie? Annie? Oh, you look so handsome. My son. Oh, my grown-up son. I'm so proud of you, Annie. I missed you. Stay with me, Mom. Everything. 
my love. So uh, Anakin's mom, Shmi, is killed or dies by the hands of the Sand People, and he just goes on a you know a, a dark uh, Jedi-infueled or dark force, uh, dark side of the force rampage, and, and wipes out the whole little camp of uh, Sand People. There, it's uh, it's a strong scene, you know, one of the strongest I think in any of the prequels. But I think again, it's an important one. This is what really drives him. It starts his. Uh, descent into darkness and eventually you know him turning completely to the dark to the dark side by the movie and revenge of the sith you know he lost his mother here never had a father uh sort of always looked to obi-wan as a father figure and then uh you know he starts when he getting ahead a little talking about revenge of the sith but you know when he starts to have these dreams of losing padme it, it really drives him over the edge you know he can't lose another one somebody that he cares about so deeply and i think uh yeah, it, I think it works. I, I, I feel that this this works very well. Uh, he's he's not really, you know, he's his, he's he's like a superpower teenager. He's got all this power, but he doesn't have the really the mental and and emotional makeup to to deal with it in in a in a good way. You know, they've always talked in these movies and in the, in the prequels, especially how they would, and they talked about it a little with Yoda and Luke, but. That uh, training for you know these force enhanced uh, people that become Jedi needs to start at a very young age, and I think a lot of that has to do with the discipline and, and uh, just the the whole mental uh, makeup that you have to be to, in order to have these powers and being able to use them responsibly. You just uh, you know you can't hand that over to somebody later in life. I, I think that that it could uh, be difficult for them to deal with it. So anyway. At least that's my take on it and from other things that I've read. Uh, but, again, I think it works pretty well. Uh, there is another scene I think is a pretty important one that follows this one up very well. And this is the scene, of course, where he's talking to Padme back at the Lars homestead about what he did and the repercussions of it. Why couldn't I save her? I know I could have. Sometimes there are things no one can fix. You're not all powerful. Well, I should be. Someday I will be. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. I promise you. I will even learn to stop people from dying. Anakin. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. What's wrong, Annie? 
killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women and the children, too. They're like animals, and I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them! I'm a Jedi. I know I'm better than this. Yeah, another uh, a good, strong scene there. I, I think the two of them, uh, you know, they do a good job with a, a, some difficult material, uh, difficult dealing with that uh, emotional state that he's in. And, you know, it's, you know, to, to have your, you know, somebody you love, like your mother, you know, die and killed in that way, and you have these... You know, you get a lightsaber on your belt and these powers. I mean, it's just, it's not really too hard to put together why you'd feel the way you did. And again, that's the, the difference between, you know, being in control and a, and a, you know, a Jedi who's, who's been able to deal with the power over the years versus Anakin, who's, who's really can't and, and has probably more power than any other Jedi has ever had before or since. So let's move on uh, I did have a clip with uh, you know Padme saying she loves Anakin before they go into that arena on on Geonosis is that yeah that's what it's called the little bug world but I won't play that one I'm trying to move things along a little bit let's play a clip with uh, one of the coolest parts of this movie some people kind of find it a little humorous maybe but uh, you know they replaced in, in in the Phantom Menace they tried to use a puppet Yoda again and it kind of didn't come off very well so the special effects team, once they get around to doing Attack of the Clones, decided to do a completely CGI Yoda, and it's really pretty amazing. Quite a remarkable, uh, quite a remarkable, uh, you know, accomplishment. And the thing that it really shines in is, of course, the fight uh, near the end of the movie with uh, Dooku, uh, Count Dooku, and Yoda going at it, and Yoda being this little twirling Jedi master, you know, dervish of you know, swinging his lightsaber around. This is an early part of that, right before they really get into it. Uh, of course, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan first try to take Dooku out, but Anakin just charges him, ends up losing part of his arm, and they don't really work together to defeat Dooku, unlike what they do in Revenge of the Sith. So, you know, that's what it takes, and Anakin just messes things up here pretty bad, and Yoda has to kind of come to the rescue. So listen to this clip. Powerful you have become, Dooku. The dark side I sense in you. I've become more powerful than any Jedi. Even you. Much to learn. You still have. It is obvious that this contest cannot be decided by our knowledge of the Force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. Ah! 
uh, that fight there was uh, was extremely well done. I, I always enjoy watching it. Uh, a couple things though about that. Uh, first, the the first part of that scene where Yoda and Dooku are kind of facing off, you know, using the Force uh, with each other, Dooku throwing the Force lightning, and Yoda uh, stopping it or reflecting it back, the rocks falling, and all that sort of preamble to the big fight. That was added actually uh, later on. Uh, it wasn't originally supposed to go down that way. It was supposed to be. Uh, that, uh, you know, Obi-Wan, Anakin were down on the ground. Yoda was going to rush in and immediately engage uh, Dooku in a lightsaber fight. No talking, no little Wild West showdown like they have kind of face-off. That, none of that preamble was going to happen. That was, gonna, that was added, or that decision was made later to put that in to kind of build it up to show how powerful really Yoda was, that Dooku was good with the Force, but Yoda could pretty much match and stop anything he could throw at him. And eventually, you know, the fight uh, goes on, and uh, Dooku, you know, played by Christopher Lee, who d- who does a great job. I think he really adds a lot to this movie and uh, does a great job with the character of Dooku, even though the, the dark, uh, you know, Sith apprentice to Sidious was uh, originally envisioned in this movie as being a female. They were thinking of going with a female Sith, kind of like uh, Asajj Ventress is in the Clone Wars. You know, there'd be this really evil woman. Because they really hadn't done that before, you know. When you think about it, uh, all, all the, uh, or really all the Jedi and even the the Sith had always been males. They they really hadn't used very many females. The Jedi uh, did get a few females a little bit, but uh, the bad guys were always guys. So I thought it would have been a cool idea. You know, it would have been a whole different kind of movie that way. But uh, this still works. So you know, Christopher Lee does do most of his stunt work and sword work in this uh, in this movie. Of course, they eventually, at certain points, had to use a stunt double for some of it. But he does a lot for a guy who was pushing eighty at the time when they did this movie. Uh, but that's a cool fight and uh, very interesting. I thought the the, the business about that you know it was just going to be uh, originally just a lightsaber fight, but they realized they needed to you know do some force stuff with each other rather than just go at it because Dooku eventually realizes that he can't beat Yoda. Uh, really directly with the Force, or even with a lightsaber, that Yoda can pretty much stop him either way, and that's why eventually he has to, uh, you know, start um, breaking that equipment up, you know, and he drops it, or almost pretends to drop it on, not really pretends, but he does drop it on Obi-Wan and Anakin, but Yoda stops it at the last minute, trying to, uh, in in order for Dooku to run away and and hide, to fight another day, as they say. Uh, Just a couple clips left, and we're going to wind this uh, look at Attack of the Clones down. The next one is just uh, near the end of the movie. This is with uh, the Jedi, uh, with Windu, Obi-Wan, and Yoda talking about the whole uh, thing about uh, that Dooku had uh, revealed to Obi-Wan that the, you know, that the Senate was being controlled by a Sith, by uh, a Dark Lord of the Sith. So listen to this clip. Do you believe what Count Dooku said about Sidious controlling the Senate? It doesn't feel right. Join the dark side Dooku has. Mm. Lies, deceit, creating mistrust are his ways now. Nevertheless, I feel we should keep a closer eye on the Senate. I agree. Where is your apprentice? On his way to Naboo, escorting Senator Amidala home. I have to admit that without the clones it would not have been a victory. Victory! Victory, you say? Master Obi-Wan, not victory. The Shroud of the Dark Side has fallen. 
begun. The Clone War has. Yeah, so this, uh, you know, this Attack of the Clones movie, this is what, you know, it does start the whole Clone Wars, and it leads into the cartoons that they've done, and and they're going to do, they're doing another animated series that's going to further showcase the the time between Episode 2 and 3. So that's it. One last little bit of clip, just basically music. Uh, This last scene that they do where Anakin and uh, Padme get married back on Naboo, uh, by the lake. This is another direct uh, uh, sort of reflection of what happens at the end in, re- uh, excuse me, in Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back ends with uh, Luke and Leia looking out over the stars as the Millennium Falcon takes off uh, with the droids, with R2 and C-3PO there. This one is uh, with uh, basically their parents, with Padme, Anakin together uh, with the droids again, looking out over the water on this lake at, in uh, Padme's place on Naboo. So uh, a nice lot of parallels like that in these films. I kind of like how they do that. So listen to the music, and, and I'll be back to just kind of wrap it up. So there you have a look. Uh, yeah, you know, it, the second of the prequels, Attack of the Clones. Uh, you know, maybe uh, not the best of the Star Wars films, but I, I, again, like I was saying earlier at the beginning, uh, I think a definite improvement over uh, The Phantom Menace. A lot of cool things in this movie. A lot of fun to watch, really. A lot of cool parts to it. And it really moves the story along as well. Uh, you know, maybe the acting, maybe the dialogue could have been a little improved. It's not perfect by any means, but you, you get what you need really to to set you up for the next movie revenge of the sith which i'll try to cover uh sometime in in a couple of months uh probably and maybe even sooner than that uh wrap up a look at all the star wars films let's look uh now or let's listen to i should say uh jedi jeff from the forums he's got a few minutes a couple minutes of his take on episode two and then i'll be right back hi this is jeff jedi jeff on the forums Today I'd like to give some of my thoughts on Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. This movie is probably my uh, second favorite movie in the Star Wars saga, just followed by Empire Strikes Back. And the reasons why is kind of from a a story standpoint and a visual standpoint, I found um, there's so much to kind of pull out of this movie, which kept me wanting to go back and see it over and over again. This was probably the the prequel. Actually, this was definitely the prequel that I saw the most times in the theater. I remember going back, you know, every week there for like a, a few months and seeing this one in the theaters because there's just so much to kind of take in on this one. You know, just first, just from a, a visual standpoint, they had so many little Easter eggs throughout the uh, the movies. You know, seeing like different ships, you know, which might have appeared in the original trilogy, like the. YT 1300 which was uh, kind of the Millennium Falcon or you know some of the other ships um, kind of flying around in Corsican you know always something to kind of keep your eye out and look for just overall like I say I found this movie is just a, a visually you know pleasing movie to, to watch as well you know the story is really interesting as well with kind of the, the starting of the Clone Wars and seeing how the Separatists and the Republics how that was all kind of playing out you know with 
Palpatine kind of pulling the, the strings the way he wanted to and you know having Dooku kind of run things as well just this just made for an interesting story and of course as well you know we can't really forget about you know you know Jango Fett as well you know and the origins of Boba Fett again you know kind of tied it into the original trilogy which was great and then you know something which I found a little lacking in the Phantom Menace was we really saw no real big kind of army of like soldiers like we had the droid army but they weren't really the same like having like a clone army or or you know the imperial army that we had in in the original trilogy so i really liked uh you know seeing you know the kind of the clones coming to be and then seeing them in battle later in this movie so all in all you know this movie uh gives two thumbs up by me you know i love this movie and uh happy that uh you're doing a review of this week Rico and uh, thanks for letting me share my thoughts with this movie and back to you well thanks a lot uh, Jeff for your take on this movie Attack of the Clones that we just looked at Uh, yeah you brought up some interesting points some things I hadn't really uh, stressed too much that's always good when I get comments from people and they're talking about a little different aspects of the movie you know you got the two armies one of the things that was very cool also in that movie that I really enjoyed was to see all the Jedi in the arena fight at uh, near the end of it. You know, you never really had seen that before, and, and you really get to see some of the Jedi shine and get to do what they could, you know, really do, unlike, you know, most of the time we'd only seen a couple of them at a time until then. But thanks for your comments, Jeff. And uh, that's basically it at, on uh, Attack of the Clones, the second of the Star Wars prequels. Uh, another interesting, one last little bit of trivia uh, for the movie was it wasn't the most popular movie uh, of the year in 2002 when it came out. Uh, I didn't find out. All I read uh, was that it wasn't the, the number one for that year. That was uh, unusual. And all the other movies, I think, in the Star Wars saga had been number one in the year that they came out as far as box office and everything. So that was a little bit of interesting uh, trivia there. But, uh, you know, that's eh, who knows what box office really means anymore. So, I'm going to segue right now. Here we go. Click, 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 click. There's my little segue noise. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to talk about a collectible that I got just a couple of days ago. This uh, uh, really cool, and it ties right into Star Wars. This is the uh, Master Replicas. It's it's one of the trooper helmets. This is really more from Revenge of the Sith, but, you know, you get to see the clone troopers in, obviously, in Attack of the Clones as well. So this works as well. This is the 212th Attack Battalion Trooper Helmet. Basically, it's a clone trooper helmet with sort of a a yellow gold kind of stripe uh, down the top of it. Uh, It's a very nice piece, and Master Replicas recently just had a huge uh, drop in price, a sale on it, a special sale. And I got it for uh, like 250 less than it was originally listed at. And I mean, how can you pass up a deal like that? You know, they were practically giving these things away. So it's uh, made out of fiberglass. It's it's got a great finish. Uh, the paint job is excellent. Uh, has a nice shine to it. It comes on a little pedestal kind of display. Uh, no case, which is a little bit of a drawback, unfortunately. Which means I'll have to put it in, either get a special case or or, or fit it into one of my like cases from IKEA. But it's uh, it's really great. I've got number, let's see, this was only an edition size of 1,000. I got number 695. But it's fiberglass. It's padded. It has a tinted uh, eye slot there, which you can actually, I haven't pulled it onto my head yet. I have rather a, I don't mean this in a in a weird way or an ego way, but I have kind of a large head size. I think I wear like a 7.5 or even maybe a touch more size hat. So I typically have a hard time putting hats on my head or or things like this. So I haven't tried to slip it on my head yet. 
but it is padded on the inside, so you could wear it if you'd like to. But I, I would never probably costume with this or wear it. It's just too nice, and I want to keep it in a good condition and good shape. But, you know, Master Replicas did a little have a little trouble with the helmets at first, but they've gotten that all licked now, I think. And this is really a beauty. Uh, they've done a few in the Clone Trooper series, uh, some with blue on them, uh, red, uh, you know, the Shock Troopers. They're doing this green helmet, which sort of has this green camouflage look to it, which I've got on order, which hopefully will be coming out before the end of the year. Along with that, they're still going to be doing or, or releasing their, uh, not the uh, prequel helmet, but a, a regular Stormtrooper, white Stormtrooper helmet from the original trilogy is supposed to be coming out as well. But this is the actual first Master Replicas helmet that I've gotten. They've done a few. They did a Darth Vader one. I didn't pick that up uh, it was a little more expensive than I wanted to spend. But this is a great uh, helmet, great deal, uh, really pristine looking, very shiny. Uh, it just looks cool, and it's uh, it's nice that they had a good deal going for it. So I'll put pictures up uh, in, via the podcast notes and in the collectible gallery off the main treksf.com website. So check it out there. You'll see a lot more views of it and get a, a good look at it. It's one-to-one scale, of course. Like I said, you could wear it on your head if you'd like. Uh, and they did a great job with it. So Master Replicas uh, still continues to produce some great Star Wars items. Okay, folks, I, I've got uh, I've got one more clip that I want to play this week. I, I had another one that I couldn't get to for for time reasons. Uh, it's going to be saved till next week uh, from a listener talking about Star Trek and. Uh, I think I'll slide it in the next week's show because I had a few longer ones this week. This uh, last one that I'm going to end the show with, I won't be back after the show. I'll just go into right to the ending music. This uh, clip coming up will be from the Moyers uh, talking about their trip to the uh, uh, Sci-Fi Museum out in Seattle, in the Seattle area, I believe. Uh, So it's rather long. It's about seven minutes. So I thought I'd just put it on the end of the show. But I'm going to finish off by just saying a few things. Uh, First, next week's show is probably going to be about a Star Trek episode, either from Voyager... Uh, maybe another series, but I think probably from Star Trek Voyager. So always check treksf.com. Usually by about Monday, I've put up there what I'm going to be talking about the next week. So check that out uh, on the new revamped uh, front page of the website. Uh, Also, wanted to remind everyone, T-shirt, T-shirt order, still going for a couple of weeks. There is a link off of the main webpage. Just click on the T-shirt link. They're $25. They're white. Uh, They're going to be lettering and, and that on the front. You can see a picture on the order link. And the logo for the podcast on the back of the shirt. I think they're going to be nice uh, using the same company I did last year when I did a run. Uh, they're $25. Like I said, you can order any size you'd like that will fit you best and get your orders in. A couple weeks, then I'll be sending in the bulk order. Thanks to everyone that send their, has already sent in orders. I'm collecting those up of the various sizes and the numbers of each size that I need. So get those orders in. Two weeks to go on the t shirt order. So. I think that's just about going to do it. I hope everyone's enjoying the uh, the beginning of the school year for those going back to school. Uh, and the weather still seems to be holding pretty nicely, at least in Michigan. The weather's pretty nice. Uh, that's about it. Stay tuned here for the Moyers Report on the Sci-Fi. Sci- sci-fi? <laughs> You'd think I could say Sci-Fi by now. On the Sci-Fi Museum out in Seattle. And I'll be talking to everyone again next week. Take care until then, and stay tuned for the Moyers. Well, hi there, Rico and everybody at Trex and Sci-Fi. This is Rick. And this is Amy. And uh, we are going to do a little quick review of the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame in Seattle, Washington. Uh, recently we had vacation time. It was fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Sure. 
My wife's just smiling at me because she actually enjoyed the uh, Pacific Science Center where they had an IMAX of the Lewis and Clark adventure. Mm-hmm. I sat through it and kind of fell asleep. I, I'm more of a history geek, and he's more of a sci-fi geek, but we we um, hang around with each other in our own passions. So. Yeah. So anyway, we we got in our new car, and we drove to Seattle uh, early in the, mor- in the morning on Monday. And got to Seattle, parked our car at the hotel, and walked to the Seattle Center where we found the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame. You can check out some pictures of it on the forums. Uh, We put some pictures. Really cool architecture, wasn't it, Amy? You know, that was amazing. Even though it's not my style, I can appreciate the beauty beauty of the lines and the light and the colors. That was cool. It was very unique. Yeah, and it's housed in the same museum as the... uh, experience music project Mm -hmm. so we got there and we paid for or actually we had paid online for our tickets and then we got in the first thing they did was take our camera away from us he couldn't take any pictures in the museum that was kind of sad yeah it was because i was very excited about showing everybody Mm -hmm. on the forums the the cool pictures and we had when we had gone to the museum part in las vegas of the The star Star trek Trek experience they let you take all the pictures you wanted and yeah that I know you'd like that part. Yeah. So we got into the, the museum, and they took our camera, and then we got into the, the museum, and they recommended that we go. There was three levels of the the museum. They recommended mm-hmm. that we go all the way to the top, to the third mm-hmm. level, which happened to be um, a big display of science fiction um, costumes. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of cool. What costumes did you, did you like the most, Aim? Um Well, I enjoyed the, um, the Star Wars things probably because that's probably one of my star trek and star wars and buck rogers were probably my introduction into sci-fi so they had the darth vader uh, outfit there Mm -hmm. and they had stormtrooper stuff stuff. they had luke's severed hand and lightsaber that was kind of weird yeah yeah. and they had um Blade Runner. They had uh, costumes from Blade Runner. I, I wasn't really big into Blade Runner. I didn't know. But much they had about the Blade co- and the Terminator I and. I didn't. I'm uh, not in the violence. Tons and tons of of costumes from mm-hmm. the movies, and they were all on display, and they looked really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So then we looked at all those. They had some uh, one whole section just dedicated to Star Trek uniforms. Mm-hmm. They had Seven of Nine and the Borg and Picard and. Uh, Guinan and all, all sorts of different. I'm a Guinan fan. Yeah, of course I like her and sister sister act too. And hanging over the top of the display of the uniforms were the different ships from Star Trek. So there was the Enterprise, and there was um, a pretty big model of the Enterprise. Yeah, it was it was, it was actually large. from one of the shows, and mm-hmm. it was from the Paul Allen. Um, foundation. It was actually his private quite quite collection. a bit of Paul Allen collection. No, well, yeah, I, there I noticed. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the music experience is kind of his it's, deal. Yeah, it's his baby. He's the co-founder of of mm-hmm. Microsoft. So yeah, he has yeah. a little bit of money. Yeah. And then they had a big thing well. of D Space Nine there that they used in some filming. That was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the the cars from Blade Runner were there. Uh, just tons and tons of stuff. So mm-hmm. we looked all over that, and then we went down to uh, level one, which was called Fantastic Voyages. And down there, they had the armory, all sorts of weapons from science fiction movies. They had a yeah. whole display on robots. I- I, I think you really enjoyed that level more than I did. I enjoyed seeing they had the little salt shaker, um, tricorder, tricorder, yeah, and the medical stuff, a, yeah, the medical tricorder that looked like a camera bag from like the nineteen fifties, and that was cool. Yeah, that that was kind of nostalgic. Yeah, they had they had some really cool things that you could you could take a look at. Um, I think one of the coolest parts was the the Death Star. They had a whole thing on Dune, which was really cool. Yeah, and 
the funny thing is, is I say I'm not a sci-fi fan as much as you, but I like complex storylines like Babylon 5 and Dune just because I like, I appreciate their storylines yeah. and how they're interwoven. And that was cool. Yeah, I'm not as much into this, the um, special effects yeah. as Rick is, but I like the storylines. That yeah, was cool. Uh, but I think the robot display was my favorite where you got to see there was R2-D2 and a, and a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica, the old series. Mm-hmm. And they had... Um, uh, Robbie the robot from the the old series stuff, and they had all all sorts of robots there. Um, was that that was that um, Lost in Lost Space? In space. And we just saw the new one on yeah, TV, though. Yeah. There, well, it's not that new now, but yeah. more was new. Cool. And then there was the Homeworld level level two, which was really cool. It was real interactive. It had like all the science fiction writers and authors mm-hmm. on a, like a wall of fame. With um, mm-hmm. Gene Roddenberry was on it, and it was kind of cool. They were all etched in that cool crystal-looking thing. And I like the. There was a letter from Gene Roddenberry mm-hmm. that to William Shatner and a co-writer about mm-hmm. a, the script for the the weird um, God big Godhead movie. What was that? Star Trek Five. Star Trek Five. See, I've seen yeah. all of them, but um, you don't remember the name of them. I yeah, do. that that script was a little odd. I thought, but. But anyway, they had a whole big letter from Gene Roddenberry, yeah, the lawyers. Yeah, and Gene Roddenberry yeah. was telling him, I think the script's a little odd. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of <laughs> cool. He kind of agreed with me. So basically, if you go to the Science Fiction Museum, it costs, I think at the time when we went, it was $15 a person, mm-hmm. and you could stay all day, and it got yeah. you into the music experience as well. Yeah. We ate lunch there. It was really good. Um, we had to wrap things up real quick. but Oh, I like the the restaurant. I the restaurant was really good. Yes, it was excellent. It was what was it called? Revolution. Revolution. It was really good. Yeah, it was excellent. It was really good. Yeah. So I recommend it to uh, even if you're not a sci-fi geek, you probably enjoy the museum just looking at all the mm-hmm. cool things. But it's so rich. I'd love to take a bunch of people that actually enjoyed science fiction. No offense, Amy. Oh, I, I tolerate it. I enjoy it somewhat. Yeah. And then go through mm-hmm. that and then sit there and take notes and talk about it because it was really really cool. He would have really liked some of his sci-fi buddies from the forum to go with him, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. But it was really cool. So anytime mm-hmm. anybody's up towards the Seattle area, and if we have some time, we'll come meet you and uh, feed you lunch and go through the museum with you. It was very, very cool. We highly, mm-hmm. re- I highly recommend the Science Fiction Museum and Hall of Fame in Seattle. How about you, Ian? And And I recommend the Lewis and Clark um, <laughs> IMAX. <laughs> no, but the, the Sci-Fi Museum was really good. And the restaurant there was fabulous. Yeah. Good fish tacos. Oh, there you, there you go. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Rico. All thanks, right. everybody at Trex and Sci-Fi. Hope to see you in Seattle sometime soon. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, so that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little faster. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.